That's it. Church is over. Everybody go home. Thank you for joining us this morning, Christ Community Church, friends, family, and first-time visitors. If this is your first time joining with us this morning, I would encourage you, uh, by phone or by computer, to uh, visit the URL, www.c3ak.com slash hello. Uh, just check in with us. Uh, give us a name. Give us an email address. Just give us the opportunity to connect with you and say hey, because we like to say hey. Uh, if you do have little ones or bigger little ones who are joining you this morning, I would encourage you to go uh, to a PC or a Mac connected to a printer and visit uh, c3ak.com slash kidprint. You can find activity sheets for, uh, for the older and younger kids. Parents, if you want, you can go ahead, get an extra set of crayons and print one out for yourself. But do be paying attention. Um, do make sure you're connecting with us uh, through all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, obviously, if you're joining us this morning, you're connected through YouTube, so go to the other ones as well. Uh, but that way you can stay up to date on what's going on, because uh, even though it seems like nothing's going on in the world, stuff continues to happen, and we want to make sure you know about it. Uh, I think that's all I've got for now. I'll be back a little bit later, but let me just kick us off with a word of prayer, and then I'll turn it over to these guys. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the fact that whatever happens in this world, nothing stops God's kingdom and God's people. We just pray this morning you would come and you would abide with us, that you would lift us up, that you would bring us into a place of praise and worship, and that you would accept from us our very best in praise and worship for you, the only audience that matters, the audience of one, our good, mighty, holy God the Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. I hope you enjoyed that video. It's one of my favorites. It just makes me smile. I love Hezekiah Walker and uh, the church that he pastors there and stuff that they put out. And again, welcome to those of you who've joined us online, which is just about everybody. We've got a few folks here in the house that are helping us out with things this morning. And uh, we hope that you'll be blessed by this. Always encourage you there. I know in your house it can be weird, it can be awkward, but sing. Sing anyway, sing loudly, sing badly, sing joyfully, whatever it is you got, but sing your praise to the Lord and join us. Uh, if God's good to us, the words will be here on the screen and everything will go just like it's supposed to. And uh, we're going to have a good time leading you to the presence of the Lord. So uh, come with us. Bring 
Father, indeed, we welcome you into our midst. We know that you are with us always. We know that your eternal quality of being present everywhere and every time and every place is true today. But Lord, we, we welcome your anointing in this place through this expression of worship from your people this morning. Lord, that as we gather together, you show us in the Bible that you inhabit our praise. Lord, I pray that our praise to you this morning has been sweet, encouraging to you, Lord, as you encourage us. Lord, in these difficult times as we wrestle with so many different pressures and concerns, frustrations, Lord, I call on us as believers, followers of Christ, to set an example in our community of kindness and caring and compassion, Lord, of standing for truth, Lord, of leaning to you for all that we need through the precious, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Yeah, I'm going to need the people in the house to jack things up a little bit to make up for the, you know, 40 people who aren't here. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, this, you, there's a certain amount of feedback you get that sort of, it's, it's a give and take. And when there's, you know, sometimes it's like you're talking out into a black hole and it's like, hello. Uh, thanks, Jan. Um, if you are following along, which I hope you are, we are back this morning in the book of Mark in the sixth, uh, sixth chapter. Three weeks ago, uh, when last I was here with you, uh, we talked about how Jesus had sent out the twelve um, to go and do and be all the things that Jesus had taught them to do and be. And then two weeks ago, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, Don Ashley was here and he shared with us how in, in the interim, in a kind of a space there, in an interlude, uh, we saw the death of John the Baptist. And so we now come back to some time has, has transpired uh, between when Jesus sent out the disciples and they are now making their way back. We don't know how long this was. 
Uh, you got to figure, the, with the instruction Jesus gave them, we're looking at at least a couple of weeks. Possibly we're looking at like a month or more because, you know, he wanted to get out there and, and do the thing. So they had to put some time and effort into it. So here's where we pick up. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. All right. So when last we left Jesus, he was uh, wrapping up things in Nazareth where he hadn't been uh, received particularly well. So he sends the 12 out to go do their thing, two by two, as God does. And it's, we, we get no indication of what is happening with the apostles or with Jesus himself in this intervening time period. And it's easy to think that, you know, well, you know, Jesus, he's a busy guy. Maybe, maybe he took a little, took a little vacation. Uh, honestly, can, can you imagine what Jesus and vacation looks like? I didn't, fishing, yes, except Jesus just walks out on the lake and he just starts like a bear. And then he talks to him and puts him back. Because that's how Jesus would fish. Uh, he's wrapped up in Nazareth. Uh, you know, this was his hometown where he was roundly rejected. So the indication is that as we pick up the action, he has now kind of relocated operations to the town of Capernaum. Uh, it's on the coast of the, it's a fishing town on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, this makes sense as it, uh, it's the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law lives there, uh, probably in his house. We'll get that somewhere down the line. Um, most likely, this is also where James and John were because kind of they were in partnership together. So, you know, this would have been a solid um, welcoming place for Jesus to kind of go and reestablish himself. So he moves operations from, from Nazareth to Capernaum, and, and okay, Jesus moved. I mean, ugh, there's nothing worse on planet Earth than moving, uh, even if you're Jesus, I got to imagine. But so is that all Jesus did? I can't imagine Jesus stopped working, because even though he sent out 12, he still had many, many, many followers, if you're familiar at all with the Gospels, we know that somewhere in the not-too-distant future from this event, Jesus is going to send out an additional 72 disciples to go and do and, and act and speak in his name as he did. They are going to, it's like the 12 were a pilot program. We're not sure how this is going to go. Let's, let's start with 12. We'll start with a little handful. We'll, we'll wait for them to come back. We'll get feedback. We'll debrief. We'll see how things went. And if things go well, then we'll open it up to a bigger program. But that being the case, because Jesus knows it's going to work out, because Jesus, you've got to imagine he is taking this intervening time to then turn, you know, it's, and it's not like, you know, he's turning to the, the remaining disciples whose name we don't know. You know, he sent out, he sent out the A-team, and then he's like, ugh, you guys. Losers. Now, Jesus would have poured himself just as completely into this other group of disciples as he did to the 12. 
So the 12 are off. Jesus has now moved to Capernaum, and he's pouring himself into this, these other disciples who are going to go. And even though in many cases we don't know the names and we don't know the histories, when Jesus departs this world and leaves his work in the hand of frail, mortal men, these guys are going to be just as much a part of spreading that work as the 12 were. So Jesus is at work, he's moving, he's teaching, he's speaking, you know, he's still, he's still healing, he's still speaking, he's still going around and he's seeing the lostness and the brokenness of the world around him, and he's speaking God's kingdom into these lives to, to bring life and to bring hope. And after some amount of time, the 12 start coming back. They start making their way back. Obviously, Jesus probably would have said, oh, by the way, when you come back, you know, come back to Capernaum. Don't come to Nazareth. We're done here. Come and meet me by the sea. So the 12 start coming back, and they are so excited, and they can't wait to tell Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? And then these two come running up, and they're like, guess what? And they're like, no, I was here first. Now shut up. My thing's better. And children, like children, and they all want to impress Daddy. So they're running up, and Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus dearly, he wants to hear every story. He wants to hear every moment because he is just as excited and just as proud of them as they are. But, but while they're coming back and he's trying to interact with them, and then, you know, there's the lost and he's interacting with them, and then there's the other disciples and he's interacting with them, and it just, it gets to a point where even for Jesus, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, okay, you got, you, you guys, you have done so good, but, but you've been working so hard and so long, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're, you're worn out now. Because even in God's kingdom, even in the work of God, there comes a point when you need to stop. And you need to rest. Because, we, you know, the world we live in, this culture we live in, we've been sold this bill of goods that you... You, in order to display your value, in order to show your worthiness, you need to constantly be busy and you need to constantly be doing and that somehow rest and withdrawal is a weakness. And we have Jesus Christ himself here going, there comes a point when we need to just stop because you can't continue to do the good work when you drain your tank. So he's like, you 12, we're going to go get in the boat. We're going to go find a nice, quiet and he uses it throughout this, this, um, these verses, Jesus will constantly refer to it as a desolate place. Which, what Jesus meant by desolate and what I mean by desolate seem to be two different things, but we'll get there. So Jesus is like, look, me, you, the 12, we're going to get in a boat. We're just going to go off by ourselves for a little while. We're going to rest. We're going to relax. We're going to eat a little bit. We're going to talk. You guys can debrief me. You can tell me all the great things you did, and we'll just rest. So they all get in the boat. Picking up in verse 33. Now many, because Jesus, throughout his life, is always, even at the end, always surrounded by many. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So 
they're on the, the coast of the, of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and the disciples get in the boat. And everybody's like, where's Jesus going? We need to follow him. I don't know why the crowd turned into Mickey Mouse. That's just the way they did. Um, and we can tell from kind of the, bio, the through line here that, that they weren't sailing across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee because had they done that, they could have lost the crowds. So if the crowds were running along and they were getting to the place that um, the 13, Jesus and the 12 intended to go, they got there ahead of them. So we get the impression that Jesus and the 12 are in the boat and they're kind of sailing along the coast. Now, I mean, not far, just, you know, a little ways out, still clearly visible from uh, the, the shoreline. So, you know, everybody else is, <laughs> no, they're still going. And they're running, and they're running. To, I mean, it says they're running, and they're running to get there ahead. This is, this is like my dog, who, not to diminish these people, my dog likes to follow me from in front of me. She's like, I'm going to go where you go, but I'm going to go in front of you. So it's walking, 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 walking. And a lot of times, you know, she's not paying attention and I'm not paying attention and she stops and I don't and it gets ugly. So that's what these guys are doing. They're just running. They don't know where they're going. And oh, wow. These followers of Jesus don't know where they're going, but they're going and they're keeping their eye on Jesus as they go. I didn't even see that one coming, folks. Boom. That's right from God, because I wasn't smart enough to think of that. So finally, we get to a place where Jesus is like, this looks like a good spot. Let's put in here. They pull their boat up onto the shore. They all get out. Jesus is like, yeah, this is the place. And they all turn around, and there's just crowds. They were supposed to be off by themselves to rest and relax and restore themselves and renew and recuperate And why does everything that comes with getting ourselves back in shape start with re? I don't know. But Jesus saw them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. And I think it's important to point out he had compassion on them. Because it would have been really easy for any of the rest of the 12. I mean, picture them. They have been at work for weeks Many weeks, and they've, they're finally, the job is done, and they've come home, and they just want to sit with their friend and relax and just stop for a minute and take a break. And it would have been really easy from a human perspective to look at those crowds and go, oh, I am so tired of people. And we get that because we've been there. We've been at that place where there's just, there's that one more thing that, you know, you thought you were at the end of it, and then there's that one more thing and that one more person, and you're just tired. But not Jesus. Jesus looked at them, and he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And we're going to, maybe more than any, anywhere else, and this only occurred to me this week, many more, maybe more than anywhere else in the Gospels do we get this vision of Jesus coming back to this idea of being the shepherd to the flock. So they come ashore. Jesus sees the crowds. He has compassion on them. And he began to teach them many things. 
Because in looking at them and having compassion on them, in this moment, he realizes that this lost flock, their need is spiritual. This need is emotional. This need is, is, is in their hearts and in their spirits and in their souls. And it's not physical need that they need addressed right now. So Jesus begins to teach them many things. And I would imagine many things is the gospel. Many things is the good news. Many things is the presence right now, right here, of God. A good God who cares and loves you and wants the best of you and walks with you and looks after you and is going to provide for you. And this was what the crowds needed to hear. So Jesus spoke these many things. And when it grew late, so, so when it grew late, Jesus has been talking all day. Now, I'm just saying there was a time when consistently me from here, we're looking at a 40, 45 minute mark. And, you know, even with these lights, some of you people roll your eyes so big I can hear it. I mean, you read the like 35-minute mark, and I know people are like, good Lord, take me now. Sure, Jesus can talk all day, and the people are loving it. Oh, Jesus, tell me more. I talk 45 minutes, and it's like, all right, you go down that aisle, you go down that aisle. We'll get him in the middle. And he grew late. His disciples came to him, and they said, this is a desolate place. Again, Wherever they were, we keep describing it as desolate. And in my mind, that means like barren and, and deserted and just, you know, Jesus in the desert against the devil, desolate. This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them. He, Jesus, answered them, the twelve, and he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Okay. You might not have caught this, but one of the 12 just got real snarky with Jesus. Because there's no way you read... Um, there's no way you read, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? There's no way you read that and go, somebody wasn't being sarcastic. And probably it's whoever's like, you know, you got like the 12, but like there's seven of them standing in the front row. And then there's like five in the, and then the one guy's like, yeah, what are we going to do? Go buy like $3,000 worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And because it's money, there's a good chance it was Judas. And Jesus just overlooks it. He's like, they're like, look, we, you know, we get it. They're hungry. And you say, you know, give them something to eat. And we're like, dude, we got nothing. We don't even have money. Even if we had money, with this number of people, a denarii was about a full day's wages for your common sort of laborer. So 200 denarii would be like 200 days worth of pay just for bread for this many people. And they're like, Jesus, look, you know, we get it. You're Jesus and we're us and we just did some cool stuff. But, 
you know, this is something that we can't tackle. So let's just, you know, it's late. If we keep them too much later, you know, we're, they're going to be kind of stumbling their way along in the dark. Accidents are going to happen. Um, for those who don't, and I may get this story wrong, but it seems to me, Woodstock, Jimi Hendrix played the national anthem. And it was like at the end. And the idea was that Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem was going to slow down the crowds and give them space in vacating the Woodstock grounds so that everybody wasn't like all making a rush to get out of there at the same time. And it was like, it was like the coolest crowd control ever. Because they knew that many people going away at once is going to cause problems. And the disciples are trying to think logically. They're going, Jesus, if we send all these people away right now, it's late. By the time they get somewhere, it's going to be dark. This is a desolate place. There's no help for them. You know, it's not like, you know, there's highways and byways everywhere. Rocky, treacherous ground, bad things are going to happen. So let's, let's get them out of here now. And Jesus is just like, do, do you... Do you still not get it? You, you, still, you still don't get it. All right, and there's a verse here, verse 38. I'm just going to go ahead and skip that. We'll come back to that. You know, numbers generally go in order. Not always. Verse 39. Then he, Jesus, commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, in the intervening one verse, they had found five loaves of bread and two fish. Not one fish. One fish could have been a problem, but two fish. Now we can make something happen. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So now, not only do the disciples not get the rest and relaxation they thought they were coming out for. Now they're doing table service. So some of them are just outright cranky now. And they all ate and they were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. All right. One. They've come out to this desolate place. But apparently it is a desolate place of greenery. And Jesus makes them all sit down in the green grass. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me what? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd does not leave the flock to fend for itself. The good shepherd does not give the, the, bring the flock to a place where they're hungry and they're tired and they're weary and they're thirsty and go, all right, we're going to stop for now. Go see what you can find. The good shepherd knows that it is his responsibility to provide not only for the spiritual needs of the flock, but for the physical needs of the flock. 
And the good shepherd makes this lost flock to lie down in green pastures. And he takes the bread they found and he breaks it apart. And and the breaking of the bread, this is, it it will come a point down the road in the story of the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it is when Jesus breaks bread that they recognize this is Jesus. Because in the breaking and the blessing of the bread, this is something they've seen Jesus do many times, including this time right here. And he starts handing it out. And again, five loaves of bread, two fish, and he breaks it and he blesses it. And he starts, he, he gives it to the 12 and he says, go hand this out. And they're like, these 12, who should know? Who should know? How many times in our own lives do we get direction from God that we roll our eyes at or just go, that's not. And we should know better because we've seen We've seen better, and yet still our hearts are hard enough that there is unbelief in us at what God can and cannot do. And so the 12 go out, and they start handing out bread, and they start handing out fish, and it says 5,000 men ate until they were full, till they were satisfied. And for the record, it says 5,000 men. But that is not the sum total of those who were gathered. Because this is not me. It's not my system. It's not my plan. Women and children were not counted. For some reason, you know, down with the patriarchy, whatever it is, only men counted at this time. And so the count is there were 5,000 men in this crowd. But a crowd of 5,000 men likely translates to anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people once you add in the women and children. Five loaves of bread and two fish fed 10 to 20,000 people until they were full. And there were leftovers. I don't know who got the leftovers. I don't, you know, maybe they're bagging it up in Ziploc on the way out. One for you, one for you, one for you. Everybody ate till they were full. There were leftovers. Because the good shepherd cares for his flock. And the good shepherd knows that, and, and he, you know, I'm just going to say that because we're coming back to the last point. Backing up, verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have go and see and when they had found out they said there's five loaves and there's two fish this story right here the feeding of the five thousand this and the resurrection of jesus are the only two stories that appear in all the gospels Everything else we know about Jesus is kind of a hit and miss. Oh, you know, this story happens in this gospel and this gospel. This uh, parable over here was in one, two, and three, but not in number four. This and the resurrection are the only two that are presented in all four gospels. And here, here's the same story, this same verse shared in John chapter 6. 
verses 8 and 9. One of his, so Jesus says, go and see how much bread and fish we have. And they check their pockets, and they got nothing. And he's like, go look around. And they're like, we can't find anything. And it's like, you know, when somebody in the household goes and looks in the refrigerator and says, where's the blah, blah, blah? It's right. No, it's not. I can't find it. Try looking with your eyes open. So they go out. They find five loaves and two, two fish. And John, it says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And here's kind of one of the, you know, the big point I want to hit this morning is it comes back to a phrase we use frequently and frequently. And it's the idea of God's economy. See, there's many occasions, and this applies, this applies certainly to your time, it applies to your talents, but most often it comes up in reference to money. And it's the idea that, you know, I don't know how much money you have, but you have enough money that you can worship God through your giving. If God tells you to give $5 a week, you should give $5 a week. If we're doing a camp, you know, we're doing the thing where we're trying to raise up love offering for the camp, and you're like going, I got like 20 bucks, but they need $84,000. What is my $20 going to do? In human terms, your $5 a week, your $20 for the camp means nothing. In human terms, it's nothing. It's, you, you think about like a drop in the bucket that is not even a drop in the bucket. But what we need to understand is when we live in God's kingdom, we are operating in God's economy. And we serve a God who can take your less than a drop in the bucket. And he can multiply that beyond what human understanding can conceive. Just like this, Andrew is standing there and he goes, I found this kid and he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. One, why has a kid got the bread and the fish? I, and, and, and I'm thinking about it this week, and I'm trying not to think about it, but I'm thinking like Jack and the Beanstalk? Like the kid's mom sent him to the store, and then he got swept up in the crowd, and the, the disciples are like, anybody got any food? And the kid's like, somehow totally did not stop and consider the ramifications of coming home, having spent the grocery money, and coming home empty-handed. And he comes running to the front, and he's like, I have five loaves of bread and two fish! Because he's a child. Because in a child's mind, Five loaves of bread and two fish can help when you're trying to feed a crowd of 10 to 20,000 people. Because in a child's mind, there's not too little. There's like, here's what I have. How can I help? And even Andrew looks and he goes, he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. Aww. But honestly, what is that going to do? And in that moment, because we know, we look back, 
We look back to when Jesus was in Nazareth and Jesus could do no great things because there was such an incredible lack of faith. And I have to wonder in that moment, was it solely on the basis of that small child's faith that Jesus was then able to feed 20,000 people with this meager offering? That, that in that moment when he's holding that bread and he's looking up to heaven and he's blessing it and he's saying, dear father, thank you for faith such as this child. When God calls out to you for your resources, whether it's your time, your talent, your treasure, when God calls out and you say, I don't have enough to spare, I don't have enough to make a difference, you are operating in the economy of a fallen world and not in God's economy. Because if God calls out to you, for the use of what you have, one, God provided what you have. Two, God will provide what you need. And three, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, amazingly more than what you can conceive of with faith. God, I, I you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give $20 a week. I don't have $20 a week. I don't know how to make $20 a week work but it's what you want, so I'm going to give it. And in God's economy, it works. And let me be very clear. I am not saying that if you give what God asks, even though it's hard, that this is going to result in a blessing of money. I'm not telling you that you are planting the seed of a money tree but I'm telling you, you are operating in the economy of God's kingdom. You are operating out of faith, and you cannot live a life rooted in faith that does not produce blessing, whatever that might be. And there may be times God is calling you to prayer, and you're saying, God, I don't have, I cannot count how many times I've had conversations with people where their claim is, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. If you don't have time to pray and you don't have time to read the Bible, you need to do something about your priorities. And there's no moment that cannot be helped by prayer. There's no place where you have to go into a business meeting. There's no moment when you have to go into a conversation that, that you have to, I have to do this now. I have to go now. I don't have time. There's not a moment when taking that time that you don't have to pray in faith to God does not make whatever's to follow better. Because God's economy. Because God does through faith what the human eye can't see and what the human mind can't conceive. And in that moment, God asks you to be like a small child that says, I have this! And everybody else goes, awesome, you have that. And God goes, awesome, you have that. There is a good shepherd. You are of his flock. And that good shepherd is going to provide for you. He's going to provide the resources you need. He's going to lead you beside still waters. He's going to make you lie down in green pastures. And the only way this is not possible is when we decide to separate ourselves from the flock. When we decide to put ourselves outside 
the love and guidance and protection of the good shepherd. And the question is, when so, so, so many of us live lives outside of his influence, outside of his guidance, outside of his protection, and we've seen how good life is in the flock under the hand of the good shepherd, why would we choose to do otherwise? Why go it alone? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that as we go from this place, we will consider what you've spoken to us, that we will review what you've said with wisdom, and that whatever it is you reveal to us, Father, that we would, we would be faithful to do what you've called us to, to go where you've called us to, to give what you've called us for. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may you live this day and tomorrow and the next day in each and every day of your life under the hand, under the care of the good, good shepherd. For it's in his name, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. worship as well during youth camp and uh, kids camp and so they're going to come and some of the band will be here we had to to limit who could be here because we've got this you know 15 person limit thing going on but it's going to be a good time i'm looking forward to it and uh, be a couple of songs that you know and a couple that might be a little newer there's one that we haven't done a ton but you've heard it and then waymaker we have not done here but it's going to be brand new so i want you to learn that so that you can jump in with that uh, a couple of other things just to remind you as always, Claire House, uh, that meal uh, will be coming up again in September, and that's going to be the first Friday, is it? Is it before Labor Day? It's the first Friday of September. Jason, look at the calendar real quick so I can let folks know. Um, but you can sign up for that. You can send us an email since you can't be here at the church. You can send us an email if you'd like to sign up for one of those items, the, the entree. You can split the entree, um, you know, if you can only do half of it because it can get expensive dessert, milk, uh, a vegetable, that kind of stuff. So let us know if you want to be part of that. Uh, you can also make a donation through the webpage and, and specify that it's specifically for Claire House food, and we'll use it in that way. And then uh, uh, we told you last week that Jeremy is soon, not sure exactly when, going to be going back to work, uh, and we're so thankful for that. And the other folks that were working for Raven that are going to get an opportunity to go back to work, what a, what a great thing that is. But we still haven't had anybody come along and say that they would like to help us with production of the live stream, uh, the job that he's been doing for the last several weeks and doing so wonderfully at it. So uh, we're still looking for that. And guys, 
if that's not you, I also want you to think about your friend group. You know, somebody that maybe is inclined that way technically, or they just would maybe like something to do. And, and you know, we're going to treat them right. We're going to be good to them. We're going to be kind to them here and uh, show them everything that they need to do. Maybe it's an opportunity to connect somebody that you love with some other people that you love, as well as connect them to Jesus and a fellowship that uh, celebrates him. So think about that. You can email me, Pastor Tracy at c3ak.com, if you're interested in our tech crew, and I would love to have you come aboard with us. All right? Guys, I love you. When this video is over, we'll uh, close out the live stream shortly after that, but uh, I hope this blesses you, and thank you so much for joining us, those of you that were able to be here with us uh, in the house this morning, as well as everybody who joined us online. I love you. Have a great week, and be safe.
Stop working. You never stop. 